0: Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands, and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're an early-stage startup or still in ideation, then the Launch Pan course is designed for you. All of the basics and more saving you tons of time and thousands of dollars in launching and growing your food, beverage, or small goods business. More details at KitchenToShelf.com. 2 shelfcom That's kitchen, the number2shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and my guest today on the show is Caroline McDougall. Caroline is the creator and founder of Ticino, a unique line of herbal roasted coffees and teas with a number of wellness benefits. She's also a natural products industry pioneer with over 40 years of entrepreneurial experience in developing herbal teas for top companies such as Yogi, the Republic of Tea, and Organic India. She began her career with Celestial Seasonings, sourcing herbs from around the globe. Her work has helped to make Ticino herbal coffees the number one brand of coffee alternatives in the United States. And she has also continued her work sourcing herbs by specializing in creating new trade for rural communities and ecologically sensitive regions in developing countries. Tachino's mission includes supporting rainforest preservation programs in Guatemalan rural communities by donating a percentage of sales to nonprofit organizations that work locally in Central America. Welcome to the program, Caroline. Thank you. So um, you know, one of the things that uh, is interesting. I have a very good friend who is a quite a loyal customer of yours. And back in the fall, we were over to her house and she brought over one of the packages to me. And she said, you know, I'm such a stuff. I really love it. And, and it, it's amazing. It tastes great. And I, it, she has caffeine you know, problems that she has to deal with. And she said, why don't you have her on your program? And she gave me the little postcard thingy. And, you know, and I, I took it. I mean, it's still in the drawer in, in the desk, <laughs> but you're on the program now. So she said, you know, you need to have her on the program. So I'm fulfilling that destiny now. It's taken care of.
1: All right. Well, you better have a cup of Ticino. Well, hopefully it was with that card.
0: <laughs> I know you, you got it. So, so let's talk a little bit. First of all, let's talk a little bit about what, what Ticino or your line is um, and, and how it differs from other stuff that might be out there. And, and in fact, how it differs from coffee.
1: Right. Well, as you um, mentioned in your introduction, I have created, um, it's actually something like over 100 herbal teas for other companies. Um, So it's likely that if even if some of your listeners have never heard of Ticino, they probably drank some of my herbal teas under other brands. And when I um, wanted to start my own company, I had this thought that I really had to do something unique. I couldn't just go, you know, compete with my um, other teas that I had already made for other brands on the shelf. Um, Sure. Uh, but really, Ticino, the inspiration for it ultimately came to me in a dream. And I, in the dream, I was talking to one of my clients, and I said, the next product I'm going to create is a caffeine-free cappuccino, and the name of the product is Ticino. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually woke up at that moment, you know, because you can forget dreams, right? But no, I woke up right then, and I thought, uh, wow, I wonder if I can get herbs to run through an espresso machine. And that's the very first thing I did ah. with Ticino. I wanted to make that caffeine-free cappuccino. And at the time, this was the mid-90s, everybody was going out to the newest you know, espresso bar to have a cappuccino, sure. and yep. I'm caffeine-sensitive, so I wasn't, and that made me disappointed. So I started with the espresso machine, but went on to make it brew any way you brew coffee in the beginning.
0: Wow. Um, and, and it's interesting because the, the um, you know, first of all, we, we all know... Decaf leaves something to be desired, even if it's like Swiss water, you know, uh, mm-hmm. stuff that's done. Um, teas, on the other hand, can also be so incredibly different from your average Lipton, whatever is in that bag, uh, tea, to the very, very high-end kind of stuff that we're into. You were into, obviously, the higher-end stuff, whatever. How did you get started working in, in tea to begin with?
1: Oh, well, I started um, in the, I think I was 21 years old with Celestial Seasonings, right. um, and they were, we were a fledgling company. I, I was think I was the fifth employee or something like that, oh, and, and uh, at first, I did sales for Celestial and took teaching uh, yeah. took yeah. Celestial's teas out to natural food stores in California and up and down the coast, um, but then I, w- because I was passionate about herbs, they invited me to um, come back and live in Colorado and That's where Celestial Seasonings was started in Boulder, of course. And uh, and then, you know, um, find suppliers, because at that time, there were no um, international um, importing of herbs here, except by a couple of pharmaceutical companies, and that was for extraction, not for tea. So they weren't interested in the same plants we were interested in, for the most part. Um, And thus, uh, I got to travel around the world um, in the 70s, buying herbs and bringing them back to the United States.
0: And and when you were... Traveling and doing work, obviously in in that in in that end of CPG, but you started to see the emergence of coffee shops and obviously the of Starbucks and whatever, and and they were just missing something from the menu, right? I mean, there wasn't there well, wasn't that the was alternative.
1: twenty years later. <laughs>
0: right, right. But- when
1: I was doing this in the seventies, it was still all about herbal tea, and I went on to um, live in Europe for a while, uh, study with an herbalist. Um, Grow herbs in a uh, community in the north of Scotland, do all kinds of interesting <laughs> things. <laughs> but then they I came they, back to- they
0: can grow things in the north of Scotland.
1: Believe it or wow. not, and actually wow. good things too. <laughs> but then when I came back to the U.S., I um, I started working with Yogi Tea and other um, companies at the time making herbal teas. And so really, between then and the mid 1990s, when I had that dream, I was only working with what you would call your normal herbal teas, right? albeit blends, but nevertheless, you know, your normal herbs and spices. But what made Ticino so unique and different was I focused in on the roasted flavor. And in the beginning, you know, I wanted to make it taste like coffee. Now we have so many blends and I branched out back into a lot of the herbs that um, I was working with for herbal teas, right? (laughs) And included them. And so now we have, you know, quite a wide array of of tastes of blends that appeal to both coffee and tea drinkers, but always with that roasted background.
0: So we hear a lot, obviously, with, with coffee in particular about kind of how the coffee trade works, the industry works. And then some people have fair trade coffee and some people say there's the contracts go up and down and, the, and the, some people are buying direct from growers because they don't get enough money. How does that work with the herbs and spices stuff that you use for the teas?
1: So, of course, commodities like, like tea, meaning camellia sinensis which is where you get your black tea and your green tea and your matcha and everything else. Um, And coffee, so tea and coffee, um, have a lot of issues around fair trade. Um, In our case, we're working with botanicals, a number of which are wild, still wild harvested. Um, and also um, a number of which are grown by um, smallholder farmers, but they're independents. They're not organized by some like a tea estate, right? Right. Or a large coffee plantation. Now, that kind of thing doesn't exist with any of the ingredients I work with. Um, And so we've pioneered what we call creating new trade. So, and that's because, because, of course, that's what I've done all my life, right? I've gone out and I found herbs where they're growing and I figured out how to find people to work with that will collect them and then um dry them and then export them right. <laughs> and so um and so we i've specialized in that for ticino as well and um, and my sort of the ingredient that i'm um the best story about for creating new trade and that I'm most proud of, I should say, um, is a seed that grows in the Central American uh, rainforest and it was drank by the Maya as a roasted beverage. And this was before the Maya ever heard about coffee from the Spaniards, right? And so um, that seed is one that was going to waste on the forest floor in the Maya Biosphere Reserve. And we pioneered the new trade we now work with It's grown. We started this in 2005, but we now work with over 13 communities um, that go out and when the trees are fruiting and the fruit is falling to the ground and the seed is inside, uh, they go out and harvest it um, and collect it. And there's a cooperative um, amongst all these uh, communities Um, and they make their livelihoods depending on the um, income that they get from extracting uh, things like our ramon seeds from the forest. So they, there's no other, there's no jobs there. There's no work for women and children other than um, what we uh, provide uh, through the collecting of non-timber um, ingredients.
0: Now, I, I may have answered, or you may have answered the question I was going to ask, but is and that's about the roasting. So the element of taking Um, the herbs and roasting them was that something that you got from this idea that the mayas did it or was it something where you were trying to enhance the flavor enough to make a coffee-like beverage
1: well it's actually both (laughs) so um, in the case of the ramon seeds i was really uh i had been working for a number of years in the central american rainforest even before i started ticino um, looking for ingredients that would give um, economic value to the standing forest. Right, so right. Uh, I kept hearing about this seed that the Maya drank, roasted. When I started Ticino, that became important to me, but it took me a number of years because um, actually, it's very hard to get permission to uh, from the Guatemalan government to make a harvest in the Biosphere Reserve. We had to do a number of studies. We had to then go through a grass study with the FDA, uh-huh. you know, all those kinds of things before it was ready. So it wasn't until 2005 that I got my first harvest of Ramon seeds. But when I tasted them roasted for the very first time, it was a Eureka moment because I wanted a um, ingredient that gave more depth and more coffee-like flavor to a blend that I could call French roast. So my first blend that I made with the Ramon seeds is my French roast blend.
0: Got it. Wow. Okay. So you, you, you're doing that and obviously your, your background, you kind of know what goes into it and how to get it so that it's got a great taste or whatever else. How do you transfer from that to, okay, I'm going to put this in a package and sell it to other people?
1: Well, you got to get it successfully harvested. That was a big deal down there, you know, because it was trying kind to of dry seeds in the rainforest. You know, have you ever tried that? It's not easy. <laughs>
0: no, no, you're right. It's a, it's a good point. It's like guys worry about a little rain on on hay and alfalfa here. It's like right. no, wait a minute. Yeah, rainforest.
1: You know, I'm always I always look in every country I work in for the right partners and the right partnership. I always look for an NGO. Non um, nonprofit organization because they really understand the culture that is there and the culture within the communities and how to work um, properly and how to make sure that um, yeah that uh, that you're not disrupting that culture when you go right. in a, you know gringo looking for something yep. right. So that's one thing, um, I, but they, I also need a partner for, because you were talking about roasting. I need a partner who will do um, drying and roasting and all that kind of processing. And the Ramon seed had a number of steps and was very unique. So although we ended up using coffee roasters, it's a very unique way of using a coffee roaster. It's not just turn on the coffee roaster and you roast the seed, right? <laughs> um, we had to modify a lot of things. Uh, so I found a really good um, person in the, in. Um, spice trade that was willing to work with me and would take this on as a project. So all of that took a number of years. Once you finally get the seed <laughs> and you have that supply coming and all of that, um, then you can start to work on, um, you know, your, your obviously I made my blend and then I worked on my packaging, my certification. My God, that took forever too. Trying to get organic certification when you have wild harvested and lots of different collectors and lots of different communities yes. and wild harvested, you know, ingredients is also a real challenge, but um, we did overcome all those challenges. And um, and so, you know, bringing French Rose to market then is about, you know, like everybody knows, activating your um, network of brokers and your distributors and working very hard to get it on the shelf and telling your story and educating people about um, your brand, your company, you know, all those good things, right? It's <laughs> pretty normal after that, but the beginning is pretty abnormal. <laughs>
0: did, did, did you start sort of more on, I mean, a lot of people start in a regional basis, you already had contacts across the country, but did you start with like, okay, I need to be in a a, a Gelson's or I need to be in a Whole Foods as opposed to, I'm gonna go knock on the door at Safeway and see if somebody will buy this.
1: So uh, it's funny because things change all the time. Um, In 95, when I launched Ticino at um, Expo West, right? Um, I was really focused on the natural trade, not on the grocery trade. Um, so I, you know, I really, I really first focused on getting, um, at that time, it wasn't UNFI, but it was a lot of different distributors. That yes. Yes. I, yep. um, I focused on getting distribution with them and I had, um, a broker network that was, you know, a different network in, in a different broker group in every region and, um, you know, and, and all that kind of thing. And then you, you focus on getting on the shelf. It wasn't until later, uh, more in the, um, two thousands that we started, um, looking at grocery and 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 really going more into the grocery arena because you have to remember back in the 90s the grocery world wasn't really interested in natural foods. Oh you know, no. That came later. Oh no. That came later. That came later. Yes. <laughs> came
0: later. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Although I have to say in my celestial seasonings days I was the first person when I back was that sales girl at Celestial right 21 years old. Yeah. I put I put Celestial seasonings into the Safeway Marina in San Francisco and subsequently in Safeway in, in Northern <laughs> California. But you know that was such a unique time because First off, Celestial had great tasting teas. It also had colorful packaging. And at that time, there was oh, nothing yes. else on the shelf. There was only black tea and green tea. Not, right. Excuse me, not green tea. Black tea and black tea is what I meant to say. You know, just a couple of different brands. That was it. No green tea whatsoever until the late 90s.
0: Yeah, it was, um, you know, and, and you and I talked before a little bit, but, uh, you know, I, I worked in the category for a couple of folks, uh, Good yeah. Earth, Tetley, and mm-hmm. then later traditional medicinals. And, um, but I remember with the, with the the Tetley as a company had, um, purchased good earth and good earth was a standalone brand. And, um, you know, we had really loyal, I mean, as a brand loyalty, it was like 101%. I mean, people Mm -hmm. loved it, you know, and it was it it, and it was all done. So then you have this basically a bunch of, of guys who sell black tea at very low prices, who really only have one other competitor that's lipton right mm-hmm. so it's either who's on special this week or who's on this that and the yeah. other and they would try little innovations but I, I think that what what tetley saw and it wasn't really tetley because it was actually owned by tata beverages at that point is what tata saw was is that well we good earth is totally different this is just like right this. And it was, it was mainstream. I me. Main, I would call it mainstream. It was a mainstream brand. It was big enough, but it wasn't the same taste that you get out of a bunch of other teas and whatever. And so they did this acquisition in order to try to get that, you know, to get that. And, and then it appeared as though they didn't know what to do with it. Once they got it, it was yeah. just amazing. You know, they, it, it, it was like, okay, so you take something you have unique, you have a brand name that anybody would kill to have a brand name, good earth protected. Oh my Lord. And then you go forward. So it was very, very, you know, very, very different. But at that time, as you mentioned, there was this idea that some not necessarily organic, but there was organic coming up and as well as healthy, just, just something a little healthier or a little better, you know, and it, mm-hmm. and that, that fit right in yeah. um, Expo West, obviously um, we missed it this year. (laughs) We all did. Uh, But at Expo West, when you started was probably when I went there the first time too, which was like, it was, I think it was on one floor. It might've been one floor in the downstairs, but that was it. There was nothing in the Marriott. There was nothing in the Hilton, you know, and, and, you know, you, you knew everybody practically because right. Yeah. um, It's certainly times have certainly changed, but as you did those, um, did you find that you were getting interest as you went along more from some of the larger companies or did you pretty much stay in the, in the natural space for a time? You
1: know, I have to say that, uh, that um, Ticino was really ahead of its time, you know, Um, and that um, we, we made a big splash as the, as the coffee alternative. So we got on the shelf of every natural foods, uh, you know, store basically in the country and we quickly became the number one brand of coffee alternatives. But that, category itself was very small and we were the only ones in it doing anything the other brands were all instant, and they were owned by europeans and they really weren't going anywhere mm-hmm. and um, there had been for a long time uh postum which was in regular grocery stores yeah. um but uh that um brand got sold with the rest of postum cereals to a company that was only in the cereal category and they killed it <laughs> and so um so the grocery world wasn't really open to coffee alternatives. Um, so now it's very different. Now there's all kinds of things being marketed in our category, and the category has expanded a lot. And it's also the definition sometimes isn't always really, you know, it's used a little liberally, like... Um, uh, there's a company that markets a mushroom with coffee and they call there's a coffee alternative. Well, I suppose it is re- alternative to regular coffee, but it still has coffee in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Traditionally, a coffee alternative was an alternative coffee. You don't call a meat alternative something with meat in it, do you? Right. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but people like that term. <laughs> and So a lot of people are using it, but the category has grown a lot and there have been some other um, you know uh people who have come into it with with real coffee alternatives no coffee in them and uh they they're doing well and they're coming along just we are and we're thrilled to have company in the category um because when you have, have more um people in the same category even though you're competitors you're all working hard right, right to right, grow right. the category
0: you do that and, yeah so when you were um so at, after this kind of mainstreamed a little bit um and you were growing, um, did you, you know, add to your team kind of and seek funding or how did you grow the business from kind of you selling it to, you know, right. growing I, up?
1: I did seek funding initially and was successful in raising money in the nineties. The um, but then because we didn't have that meteoric, you know, take off, right? <laughs> the J stick, uh, whatever. Yes, oh yeah. Um, then, then I ended up growing it organically for a number of years. Um, and I would say that I continue to invest in it, not just with my time, but also with uh with actual cash and, and, uh, started my partner, my husband. Um, so we were, uh, it's interesting. We, we made a decision at a certain point that we really didn't want to force feed the company with a lot of capital. I've seen a lot of, um, entrepreneurs do that. And then either they lose control of the company or the company goes under because the investors decide it's not worth it and they don't yep. fund it keep funding it and all of that kind of thing. And being a serial entrepreneur, which I am, I've had other companies before this one, um, I really wanted to um, grow this company to do, to fulfill its mission and not just to make money because that wasn't really um, my biggest goal. It was certainly a goal, but it wasn't my most important goal. Um, I really started teaching them because I wanted to bring optimal health, uh, something very healthy to drink to my customers. I wanted to uh, promote um, the health of the planet, and by what we do with our ingredients, both in the wild cult of the harvesting and in the um organic cultivation and all that kind of thing, then um that's another part of my purpose. um and you know i I really also wanted to grow Ticino to um be kind of a um what would I say? A voice uh, on the, on the planet. I've always appreciated all these other brands that have had, you know, look at Ben and Jerry's, the effect they had, look at body shop, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, A voice for the values that we, we have. And so, you know, towards that end, I do a lot of writing, speaking, educating that kind of thing.
0: And that, yeah. And that's, that's, that's all part of what we now call is the brand authenticity, right? Is you actually walk the walk, (laughs) talk the talk and do it. Um, It's, Uh, it's also interesting because, um, as as, as I understand, kind of the opposite of the way a lot of entrepreneurs approach is that you were at one time doing co-packing, co-manufacturing and decided to take it back in-house. Can you explain why that?
1: Well, you know, as I kept creating more blends, (laughs) um, it was a couple of things. So I kept creating more blends that made it more complicated to continue to co-pack. But it wasn't really that so much as it was the growth of e-commerce. Um, with the growth of e-commerce, we wanted to uh, provide a variety of types of packages. We also needed to be able to pivot very quickly and produce, if something was suddenly taking off, produce it in a different volume than something else, you know? Um, and uh, and so we really, the, the business in a certain way became too complex for a co-manufacturer. Uh, we buy all of our ingredients. We When we had a co-packer, they never supplied us with anything. We had to ship in absolutely everything, and then they would do the rest of the work of putting it in the package. Um, so in the end of the day, since we were already doing everything except for putting it in a package, and we even had to buy our own machinery, mind you. <laughs> so we owned the machines yes. and we put yeah. it in the package, <laughs> then it made sense to just do it ourselves. Um, and so, so we took that on uh, about four years ago, and we've never looked back. It really has been um, an... Ex- Excellent thing for the company. Um, yeah, I can say all sorts of good things about how wonderful it is to control your own manufacturing.
0: Yeah, uh, quality control being probably number one. On the, on the well, Yeah,
1: quality control, and like I said, that ab- ability to pivot, like, you know, we got a, a PO with an unusual quantity of this blend. Yeah, this actually just happened yesterday. My production said, oh, my God, did you see, you know, French vanilla, it's gone crazy. <laughs> we have to produce more, you know, some some things will just take off, especially when you're in e-commerce or, or also internationally. We we sell internationally and we had an international company, company come and, uh, you know, order an extraordinary number of a package of a blend that we don't usually keep that much of. So um, we're able to just, you know, really change production more or less from day to day, not quite from day to day, but from week to week anyway, um, which we couldn't do before.
0: A little, a little more control. So you you mentioned e-commerce. Can Can you talk to us a little bit about You were obviously well-founded in retail, um, already out there. How did the e-commerce thing begin to evolve with you and Ticino?
1: You know, I started it really early on because um, nobody knew what Ticino was and nobody knew what it tasted like. And we wanted to get samples into people's hands. Um, So I actually had my first website in 1998, if you can believe that. (laughs) I don't know what it looked like anymore. (laughs) I should have saved photos of it somehow.
0: (laughs) I remember ours. It wasn't uh, wasn't pretty. It wasn't
1: pretty, I'm sure. But it did do that function you know of of um, being able to put the story out there of what ticino is what it tastes like etc and then um as things have gone along we you know in 2010 let's just fast forward a little bit to 2010 um that's when uh, at expo west andy Berger came uh from, from amazon and he was the buyer at expo yeah. west yep. a lot of us remember him yep. and so that was my first time i went we, the products went into amazon um, and then, you know, Amazon has changed tremendously since then. And we changed with it and, um, we started selling through seller central. And of course we've rebuilt our website. I can't tell you how many times cause I'm doing it again right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a, process. it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> it's a process. I know you'd think, Oh, I started in 98, right? I should be so far along, but no, uh, uh-uh, not. <laughs> and so anyway, um, but what's really been important is the shift in buying habits. Now, COVID has made this even more dramatic. But even before that, right. people were really starting to buy online, um, especially a shelf-stable product like Ticino. Um, and then they would uh, they would also do search. And so search became a huge thing for us because if somebody wants to quit coffee, they might not even know the term coffee alternative, right? But they'll go right. up there and they'll go, um, coffee, no acid, right? And Ticino doesn't have any acid, so they find my articles about how you know you can drink Ticino if you even if you have acid reflux and GERDs and you'll be okay. (laughs) And they'll see lots of testimonials from people also that say you know I had that problem and now I drink Ticino and I'm good. So um, so search became a huge thing for us, and it still is a a huge thing. Um, It's better for us than the retail shelf simply because. Now we're in both the tea set and the coffee set now, but if you go to the coffee set, you know, you'll see Ticinos on the bottom or the very top. And that's the way it was forever. And how do people right. find you? Well, we're a second class citizen in the coffee set cause we're not coffee. <laughs> so, um, so we got, you know, discriminated against and given the lousy shelf space. <laughs> um, so it's really been helpful to have search because then somebody searches for, you know I want a coffee alternative or I want something that tastes like coffee and brews like coffee, but doesn't have any coffee in it. And they find Ticino.
0: Yeah. And I was talking with somebody actually yesterday about in, in packaging design. And we were talking mm-hmm. about, he said, you know, it used to be, you know, you do the mock-up and you have uh, the, you know, the ability to work with certain things and other things you can't touch. You still got to have nutritionals and ingredient statements and whatever else, but you got the rest of it. You come up with a piece of art and then you take a photograph of the, the, the category and then you place Right, yeah, how yeah. that artwork would look in the thing to mm-hmm. see if a positive is but now he goes, It's almost as important. He said, I'm designing it for how it's going to look on the Amazon product page, yeah. absolutely, you know, yeah. and what can I do with it to because I'm not worried about my two competitors being at either side of me. Yes, on the line below or whatever, I'm gonna have you know six other people, maybe or whatever down there. He said, But this is like the focus of the consumer going there and I've got, you know, whatever five seconds, six seconds before they're going to make a decision to there and move on, and and so it puts a it, a different look on packaging. Um, it's really,
1: really true. We just did a complete um, brand uh, re, or package refresh, or really redesign.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really yeah, I know refreshing. the difference. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we just redid it, and we just did that. And I'll tell you that. My products on Amazon, the package, the new package on Amazon looks better than it does on the shelf. And I'll tell you why, you know, on the shelf, everybody really has gone to white packaging with some kind of whatever. For the most part, there's colorful packages, too, but there's a lot of white in them because if you don't have a lot of white, you don't see it as well on the shelf. Um, whereas on Amazon, you don't want a white package because then it's a white background. It doesn't stand out as well, right. right? So you want a colorful package. So I went with colorful and I would say, I mean, it's doing fine. It's doing fine on the shelf, but I would say it's much better looking with that white background on Amazon than it is on a dark shelf with somebody's shelf tag hanging halfway over yours because they're on the shelf above having a sale.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep that sure happens.
1: yeah, it does.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you, um Carolyn about um you now you, you have the, the 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 coffee, the alternative coffee, but also the teas. So what's the difference in how those are formulated or are there any, are there any similarities and how does that you know, work?
1: Uh, here's the big secret. They're formulated exactly the same. <laughs> so if you have vanilla nut in a tea bag and vanilla nut in my coffee bags, Um, and you brew it like coffee, right? It's the exact same formula, but because of the way you brew it, you get something that is more tea-like or more coffee-like. So when you're brewing for coffee, you're usually using about 10 grams of Ticino. That's the typical amount that somebody puts in either a drip coffee maker or French press or what have you to brew a cup of of, um, coffee or Ticino. But when you're in a tea bag, now most tea is sold at one and a half to two grams in a tea bag. We have six grams in our Ticino tea bag, but nevertheless, the difference between six grams and 10 grams is a lot. so you'll get a much more coffee-like flavor if you brew it like coffee with the 10 grams, and a more tea-like flavor when you brew it like tea with the six grams. But we love to say that we have three times more herbs in our tea bags than anybody else. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that gives you maximum wellness, you know, from those herbs. You're getting three times the health benefits from the same herbs as somebody who has just uh, one and a half to two grams in their, their tea bag.
0: And there, yeah, and and it gives you obviously a better, uh, uh, more more efficacious, I guess, in that sense. It's more
1: efficacious, but it also allows me to make it taste better. So, for instance, dandelion root is super um, popular, and as you mentioned, traditional Benissels has dandelion root, just roasted dandelion root, and they have either one and a half or two grams of it in their tea bag. I've got six grams in which I can have two grams of the dandelion root and four grams of other herbs that not only have other wellness benefits, but will make it taste a lot better. And so I believe that, you know, deliciousness is the first and foremost thing that we have to have um, when we deliver a cup to somebody, right? It's got to be a delicious cup. (laughs) And so I get that six grams to to maximize uh, both taste and health benefits.
0: And- uh, Caroline, for our audience out there who may not have seen it at stores uh, or browsing online, can you give us the uh, website where they can get more information, to find out more about the product line and maybe even order?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Ticino, the name, by the way, came to me in the dream, like I said, um, but it's spelled a little differently than you might think. So the Chino part comes from cappuccino and that's C-C-I-N-O, right? But the T part I thought, well, there is no actual tea in here, like Camellia Sinensis tea, so I spelled it T-E-E. So it's T-E-E-C-C-I-N-O. And you can find it on Ticino.com. You can find it, of course, on Amazon. Um, you can find it on some of our other e-tailers, uh, like Vitacost and iHerb. And you can right. find it in Whole Foods and Sprouts, and you know, um, you have it at natural food stores, natural grocers, and all kinds of natural food stores across the country.
0: Um, One of the things I was was going to ask was in in, in imagining both from a retail and from an uh e-commerce standpoint, what happened when COVID hit and how has it affected the business?
1: Well, you know, it's a terrible thing to say that but COVID's been good for our business. I mean, I feel really badly about that in many ways, but on the other hand, it's it has been. People are at home. And it's been the it's true of all tea and coffee. It's not just Ticino by any means. But everybody's at home and everybody's drinking at home. And so everybody's, if, especially if you were well positioned like we were um, with a lot of e-commerce sites selling Ticino, then all of our sales have gone up. So Ticino's um, grown tremendously this year. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been really fantastic for us. So,
0: do, you, do you think that, I mean, we, we talk about how long it takes consumers to change habits. Uh, we've obviously been long enough in this now for them to change habits, um, do you think they will stick with, you know, uh, the, especially this increase in e-commerce buying now? Of
1: Right, well, so the, one of the other effects of COVID, of course, is everybody's nervous about their health. So people wanted to um, change habits, and um, there are also a lot more high anxiety right now, for all kinds of reasons, including yep. COVID. And so um, people wanted herbs that would reduce um, anxiety and also they wanted to reduce caffeine because caffeine heightens anxiety. Um, so we really have found we, at the same time that um, COVID hit, we were launching nine new blends, and they're blends that have adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms in them, and okay. also uh, prebiotic concentrates. Ah, and all good, of those good. things go towards um, increasing your immunity, right, and right. lowering your right. stress. Um, so it, that's been really helpful uh, for. Ticino as well, because people have been looking for these adaptogenic herbs. I I love to say, you know, I was dealing in adaptogens back in the seventies, but nobody knew that term until just recently. And the just recently is that people have started to learn it and and people have started to market with it because it helps people reduce stress and increase their immunity. Those, those botanicals that do that. Yeah.
0: And From, from the wholesale side, um, we talked about Expo, but have you been participating in any of the virtual and how are you going to market 2021 going forward on the wholesale side?
1: Yeah, you know, my um, my VP of sales has definitely been, ta- you know, t- checking out Spark Change and some of the other um, online forums that are going on to try and sort of have virtual trade shows, as it were. Um I've been concentrated on e-commerce. I love e-commerce. It's my favorite. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Just personally, I like the effect I can have on e-commerce. It's kind of oh. immediate, you know? <laughs> I lost patience a little while ago with retail. What can I say? <laughs> I it's, love, you know, I love working with my website and I work with Amazon and I, you know, all those kinds of things. So, um,
0: As as a marketer, it is, it is a fascinating sandbox to be able to say, okay, well, let's do... Uh, a 15% TPR today, and then we'll look at it Monday morning and literally come back and go, "Mm, yeah, let's not do that. Or, you know, we have a new size package and a lot of times you're doing different sizes in the line. You're really worried about cannibalization. It's like, okay, well, just put it up there and again, give me a couple of weeks. I've got enough people coming through the, quote unquote, through the door um, to, to determine, how much, if any, how much cannibalization I'm going to get from that new size because it's right there, right there in front of you. And that's just fascinating. You can never do that before.
1: And I'm a product creator, right? So, you know, I created all of Tichino's blends. I continue to create them. And so I had these nine new blends. Well, no Expo West, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) right away, as soon as I had packaging, I could put them on Amazon. I could put them on our website, which I did, of course. And I could start to see how they sell and I could start to learn the languaging of selling them because as we all know, we produce these products and then we actually have to learn what it is people respond to and all of that kind of thing. So it's really been um, fantastic for us to uh, be able to launch online um, and and then be able to guide stores as to which may be the most popular of the nine new blends that they should put on. Uh, sometimes we don't get to guide them. They make up their own minds, but they do ask for occasionally the buyers. Um, but we're like, but interesting in the retail world, because they're so behind um, what goes on online, they're starting to realize that they actually have to get a little more flexible. So Sprouts uh, recently brought in uh, seven of our nine new blends, and um, they brought it into the tea set. Uh, and they have a sort of speed to shelf. I'm not, not sure if that's actually what they call it, but at any rate. But so, yeah,
0: year, I know the concept. Speed yeah. shelf
1: program, right. Um, and so in October, suddenly we're on their shelves, the first retail shelf, shelves in the entire country, right? Of all the natural food stores, we're on their shelf faster than our distributors were capable of picking it up. I mean, they did pick it up for Sprouts. But what I'm saying is we don't launch at distributors until January, but we're on the Sprout shelf in October. <laughs> so. <Right. laughs> Yeah, really, they're not. They dropped this whole thing of oh, well, you have to wait for my annual review, you know, my annual review, and then oh, I postponed my annual review. That's the kind of thing I got tired of with retail, right? I mean, Whole yes. Foods is famous for that. Let's face it,
0: right? Yeah, no, 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 yeah. I, no, exactly. I mean, it was yeah. like, yeah, it's it's yeah. in October, uh, December.
1: Wait for you, Whole Foods. Sorry, <laughs> we had other places to sell, including right. your own, Amazon. Well,
0: there's supposed to be a practical thing of you do the category review, right? In, you know, in the off season of the product, right? In time to reset the shelves for when the category starts to go up again. And again, you were mentioning whole foods there have been the whole Foods scene where the category review has taken place just as we're about on the second month of the rise of the category and it's going, well, yeah. really what are you're you
1: gonna, thinking
0: of? yeah, we rearrange everything and, you know, I know so. it,
1: it, 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 it's, you know, there was a time and certainly in my life as Ticino CEO that I concentrated on whole foods, like just, so much, you know, to the, whatever, but now I got, there's too many other things going on and there's too many other um, groups that are just much more nimble and faster.
0: You can go for it. Um, One of the things, Carol, we we do is uh, we try to um, get our uh, entrepreneurial guests to share some wisdom with fellow entrepreneurs that make up a large part of the audience. And uh, we ask if you can identify sort of your biggest, uh, your biggest challenge. Um, and growing the business and kind of how you overcame that and what the results were?
1: Well, <laughs> my biggest challenge was always education, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're educating about your brand when you have something really new. And we, we in the natural foods business are, you know, there's a lot of sort of me twos, but there's also a lot of us that are very original. New. Right? Yeah. Um, and so when you have something that's new and original and innovative and nobody's heard about it, or maybe you've brought in an ingredient that nobody's ever heard about it, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, there's a huge, steep um, educational curve, right? Um, yeah. And so what, what helps you with that? You know, so I have to tell you, the thing that helps you the most is having a long runway. <laughs> because...
0: <laughs> I'm going to write that down. Long runway, she says.
1: 25 years and counting here, right? <laughs> and I know that so many people, you know, they'll say to, te- they'll say to me, oh my God, been doing this for 25 years and I think that's such a long time but I deal with companies all over the world and they're on their fifth and sixth and seventh generation especially the Europeans right Right. and so you know if you're in the if you're in it to you know Think you're going to make get rich in five years, and that's how you want to cash out, and then you want to go do sit on the beach or something. Okay, you know, bully for you, and maybe that works. Doesn't work for most people. <laughs> for most people, you really have to have um, that perseverance, and you have to have passion, and the passion takes you through it. So that challenge for us, you know, was educating people even that a coffee alternative existed, let alone educating them about you know the, the health benefits that are in our brand and you know how to brew it and all those kinds of things. Um, right. I mentioned earlier that we're quite happy to be welcoming into the coffee alternative category, a number of young brands. And we absolutely are because the more you have other brands in there, the more you help educate together. Um, But we're also very happy to be working with a um, really excellent PR firm because the more media exposure you can get, it does help. It's never that one media blasts, you know, you into the universe or maybe it does sometimes happen. But more often than not, you know, you get these blips, you know, that are really nice um, from from the media. But you see in general a growth in your brand awareness. And um, and that's obviously uh, what what has happened for us. Um, our new brands uh, blends have helped with that and um, uh, having a PR firm helps with that. And um, just having 25 years of working hard helps with that. (laughs) And having other competitors, believe it or not helps.
0: Absolutely. And getting, getting your, your, your keywords, right. And people can can find you.
1: Excellent and very professional advice. You know, Um, it took me a long time to understand um, how to build a really good team you know, I think men get that. You know, you guys grow up playing team sports, and you really understand. You know, the really, really good team. Not we women think more community-minded, and if somebody's not doing a good enough job, if we just support them enough, they will. <laughs> you know, but sometimes they don't. <laughs> and so, it's uh, been something I've had to learn. Um, my one, uh, my, my COO always says to me, Caroline, he says, hire slowly. But fire quickly. Quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do either of those things. <laughs> no, building, building
0: building, a team in that sense is is one of the tougher parts, I think, of building out a business. And, uh, you know, but it, it, it on the show a while ago, um, Jane Strode Miller and Cynthia Tice, Cynthia of uh, Lilies, were on. Oh, yeah. and And the program was a lot about Cynthia talking about when you know, entrepreneur, she started in a health food store. That's where she started. And then, right. And then entrepreneur, then the brand. And then all of a sudden there's a multi-million dollar business. And then it was, okay, now I need to take my founder hat and that's fine. And I can continue doing that, but I need a CEO. I need, and whether it's a COO or a CEO or whatever, you probably already have a CFO. We all need those because we don't pay much attention to the numbers enough, but it it's, it's one of those things that I think really is critical to the eventual growth of a brand that you just get there and go, yeah, you know what, I, I, I want to stay focused on the mission and I want somebody else to worry about all this stuff I've been worrying about since day one. Um, and it's also, I think, a little bit harder for entrepreneurs in general, male or female, because we're used to when we start out, it's, the, you know, it's my office and the telephone and it's me. And it's hard to give up sometimes. Mm-hmm. As opposed to I've got all these other working parts, but you've been able to accomplish that, which is which is great.
1: Well, you know, my time, I'm sure will come when I'll also want to have a president or a ceo or whatever underneath me and, and i'll wear the founder hat more exclusively i wear it now but not as you know not as focused on it um i do spend more of my time on you know on business development and on uh, certainly on product development and all of that and marketing i still wear a lot of hats but that's
0: the that's <laughs> the fun part the fun part is product development and getting out there you know so it's it's, yeah. it's one of those things that you can uh, you know but you can I'd have bear-
1: I'm very lucky, though, that my son joined me in the business. He was six years old when I started Tichina. And when awesome. he graduated from UCLA in um, 2010, he'd been doing demos and shows for us all through high school and college, right? That's how he earned his money, right? <laughs> anyway, he would go out. He's got a really great personality. And um, he then traveled around the country working with all our brokers and learning the sales from the bottom up in every region of the country. And anyway, now... Fast forward to ten years later, and he's my VP of sales. So oh, awesome! Um, oh yes! Really lucky to have an, a, a son who's highly talented and has come along in the business and really learned um, all the different uh, parts of it, and is really my full partner in in running the company now.
0: Oh, that's great! That yeah. is a lot of fun. Well, Carolyn, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to to be with us today and sharing your story. It's an awesome one. And in, in to Chino great product line. And folks, by the way, that's Ticino. You can find it. It's T-E-E-C-C-I-N-O.com. And of course you can find it in, in retailers across the country. So it's great. But thanks again, Carol. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Nice talking with you, Steve.
0: And Hey, great for all of you out there. Thanks for joining us as well. And we're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational resource for CPG entrepreneurs and emerging brands kitchen to shelf is also the home of to do tuesday a weekly short reach out hosted by k2s co-founder deborah armstrong every tuesday she outlines a simple to do that will help you accomplish larger goals in your business so if you need some weekly accountability try to do tuesdays from kitchen to shelf available at facebook linkedin youtube and kitchen to shelf.com that's kitchen the number two shelf.com this is steve clear and we'll see you all next week Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at nextwith2xslevelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.